You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. I'm Trevor Noah, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. We're back, but we're still filming from my apartment because it's safer for everyone that way, and I'm still only halfway through my hoodie collection. Now, today's not gonna be a normal show, and that's because nothing is normal right now. For one thing, there's still a global pandemic, and as of this weekend, 400,000 people around the world have died from coronavirus, with more than 110,000 of those people here in the US. So please remember, if you're out there, wear a mask and keep your distance as much as you can. But believe it or not, there's an even bigger story going on right now about the greatest pandemic of all, racism, which unlike the coronavirus, doesn't go away if you stay in your house for 14 days. So instead, people have been taking to the streets. With the country in turmoil, hundreds of thousands of Americans are protesting against systematic racism and police brutality. No justice, no peace! No justice, no peace! Tens of thousands of Americans protesting peacefully, filling cities and towns across the country. In Washington, D.C., for eight minutes, 46 seconds, thousands of protesters lying down across the Black Lives Matter plaza. In New York City, demonstrators swarmed Times Square. In Austin, thousands cried, no justice, no peace. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, demonstrators closing down a bridge. In all 50 states, people of all colors all joined together. In Los Angeles, they took the notion of a peaceful protest to a whole new lotus, adding in yoga. In Houston, some marched by horseback, while on Maui, they gathered on surfboards at sunset. That is really amazing. Never before in American history, has there been an uprising like this, exactly like this, where you have huge numbers of people coming out every single day in every single state in the country. And it's particularly noticeable because it's almost completely spontaneous. Usually big demonstrations take months of planning, publicizing, getting permits. These ones are just, ayo, meet me outside in five minutes and people are there. Since starting in Minnesota after the murder of George Floyd, These protests for black lives have spread like nobody could have imagined, from tens of thousands of people in big multi-ethnic cities to 200 people in towns that are 90% white. And now, even more impressive is that this protest has started blowing up all over the world. In Paris, they marched, as they did in Rome and Tokyo. In Hungary, a silent crowd took a knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds. COVID-19 kept Thai protesters off the streets, but on screen in a massive Zoom session. In London, joining this protest mattered far more than the lockdown rules. Thousands, many masked against coronavirus, gathered outside the American embassy. Your message is heard over here. And, and we'll keep fighting the same fight that you are. We'll keep fighting the same fights that you are. Yeah. That right there, that right there is why this movement has become as big as it has. Because everyone, everyone is now realizing that we're all in the same fight. Like these protests may have been sparked by one killing in one American city, but the truth is, the truth is that if you are a black person or a minority, or a poor person in many places around the world, in London, Berlin, Seoul, Cape Town, you understand what it means to be a target of the police and a target of a system that is designed to keep you down with violence if necessary. And that's why you now have people in every country standing together. 
standing together to say, this is not acceptable anymore. Black lives matter. And whenever there are big protests, whenever there are big protests, there's always gonna be people who stand on the sidelines, right? There's always gonna be people who sit in their, in their newspaper offices or TV news studios and say, I sympathize with you, but this is not the way to get what you want. This is not the way that you should be doing it. Protesting is a waste of time. It turns people off. It's just performative. It doesn't accomplish anything. Well, you know what? I hope those people are hungry because they're gonna be eating their words. Because after two weeks, Just after two weeks of these protests, we're already seeing incredible results, both large and small. For example, for decades, Americans have been arguing about Confederate monuments and other racist statues littered around this country. The people have said, take them down. And government officials have said, oh, we'll think about it, we'll study it, we'll start a commission, we'll get back to you. Well, this time, the people said, take them down. And the government officials responded with, yeah, you're right. There were cheers Thursday night at the foot of Richmond's Robert E. Lee statue after the governor announced the monument, which stood for 130 years, is coming down. Mobile, Alabama removed a Confederate statue this morning, and Indianapolis announced this one is coming down. For days, protesters in Philadelphia have tried to tear down this controversial statue of former mayor and police commissioner Frank Rizzo, widely accused of being a symbol of racism for his tactics against the black community in the 1960s. 60s and 70s, the city taking it down in the middle of the night. Yes, in Philadelphia, they decided to take down a statue of a racist police commissioner. And I guess the question we should be asking is, why did a racist police commissioner have a statue in the first place? And yeah, there are still, there are still people out there who are like, yeah, but if you take down the statues, how will people learn their history? These statues are about his, read a book, mother That's how you learn history. No one really thinks that these statues are teaching anybody history. The bubonic plague was a major event in history. We don't go around putting up statues of rats. You don't see that shit anywhere. And speaking of learning, that's another thing that these protesters are affecting. That's another area that that, that we're seeing the impact of the protests. Because people, people, just average people, are hearing these conversations about racism and policing. And they're saying, you know what? Since there are no statues, maybe I should read. Books on systemic racism are making bestseller lists as protests continue across the country. Six of the top 10 best-selling books on Amazon are on the topic of race in America. White Fragility, The New Jim Crow, and Just Mercy are some of the books at the top of Amazon and Barnes and Noble's best-selling list today. Esawan is sold out of the book How to Be an Anti-Racist and has hundreds on back order. James thinks they've received a total of 3,000 online orders this week alone. And eventually had to stop accepting them. Yes, thanks to the protests and thanks to the conversations and thanks to people pushing, Americans are so concerned about what's happening in their country right now that books about race and racism in America are sold out. And yes, I know a lot of people might say it's too little too late. Why are you only reading now? That is a good question. But I think at the same time, we've got to be happy that people are reading now. How many times have we seen a video? How many times have there been protests and no books have been bought? No conversations have been had. So this is movement. This is progress in the right direction. And you can see that it's working because people aren't just buying books. People are saying black lives matter and they're not just saying it, they're saying it in public. Black lives matter has become the phrase that people admit needs to be said. And maybe it's because of George Floyd's video. Maybe it's because the whole world was forced to sit at home and watch that video, but it's happening. 
Everyone from Mitt Romney to K-pop fans are saying Black Lives Matter. Corporations are saying Black Lives Matter. Amazon, Bud Light, Gushers, everyone is saying Black Lives Matter. And don't get me wrong, I don't know if these companies are actually gonna do something to show that they believe Black Lives Matter other than just saying it, but it is still a major step to have American corporations who just a few years ago were terrified of that phrase saying it as part of their corporate ethos. Because Black Lives Matter shouldn't be controversial as a phrase. Black people having lives shouldn't be a controversial thing at all. And you can tell that this protest is working because even the NFL, even the NFL has stepped up to say, you know what, we can do better. Roger Goodell is apologizing for how the league failed to support players who were protesting police brutality and racial injustice during the national anthem. For many, this is an about face that was a long time coming. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is changing the league's message, releasing this video statement late Friday. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, Admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. Yeah. Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL, has come out with the statement that you just saw, which is one hell of a statement from the NFL. And look, it is a bit weird that he's affirmed their commitment to Black Lives Matter and protest and then not mentioned Colin Kaepernick, the person who was blackballed by the NFL for protesting for Black Lives Matter in the first place. I mean, that's, that's what I mean about people actually doing something. Like, it's nice to see the NFL say this, don't get me wrong, but I hope that Goodell and everyone at the NFL are actually gonna look at doing things. Because every other industry, you know, they have to prove their commitment by hiring thousands of new black people. The NFL's just gotta hire one. And yes, I know I said, I know I said that even purely symbolic gestures are nothing to sneeze at, but we all agree that posting statements, taking down statues and selling books is not enough. It's part of it, but it's not enough. Companies have to hire more black people. Companies have to stop not hiring people because they're black. The culture has to amplify more black voices. And of course, cities have to end the racist policing of black communities. That's where we all started. That's where this whole thing started. And that's the good thing about these protests is that it hasn't just gotten people talking, it hasn't just got people buying books, it hasn't just gotten like leagues and organizations saying Black Lives Matter. The best part about these protests is that they're already producing substantive changes as well. The killing of George Floyd is fueling calls to defund America's police departments. Defund the police chants are spreading at protests and the hashtag is gaining momentum on Twitter. The idea may also be catching on at city halls. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti said Wednesday he will not be increasing the police budget. He also announced $250 million will be invested in such areas as jobs and education, especially in black and non-white communities. Yes, Los Angeles has announced that they will be taking money away from the LAPD and putting it into programs like education. And please don't get it wrong, this is not a spite thing. I've seen so many conversations where people seem like they're punishing the police. No, studies have shown that when you invest in people, when you invest in communities, you don't need to invest in the police. 
It makes sense. Prevention is always better than a cure, especially when the cure kills black people. And after the mayor of Los Angeles made this announcement, after Mayor Garcetti came out and did this, which was huge, other cities quickly said that they're also gonna try, at least try to fix their policing problems. New York has announced that they're planning to cut the police budgets and change some of the laws that have protected killer cops. Houston, Sacramento, and other cities are banning chokeholds. They're banning chokeholds and certain other uses of force, which is not enough, but it's a start. And Democrats in Washington have introduced a bill that would, among other things, make it easier to investigate and punish violent police, as well as banning no-knock warrants, like the kind used by the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And if all of this actually happens, these will be meaningful reforms. But one of the themes that has come out of these protests is that reform is not enough. What a lot of people are saying is, you cannot reform something that was inherently designed to be bad. And so what many people are demanding now is to defund or abolish the police. Let's stop having police in schools. Let's stop having police deal with homelessness or people with mental illness. Let's stop having police patrol neighborhoods where they don't live and give that job to residents. And a month ago, a month ago, if you said any of this, you seemed like you were crazy and it was a pipe dream that would never happen. But again, after these protests, it may soon become a reality. In an unprecedented move, the Minneapolis City Council has vowed to defund and go beyond that, dismantle the city's police department. They're promising to replace it with a new system of public safety. We are seeking to disband the Minneapolis Police Department because it is not keeping Minneapolis safe. We have looked at ways to reform this department. We do not believe it is possible. Yeah. The city where this all started is actually promising to defund the police. And look, we're not naive. We know that promises aren't always kept. Politicians weasel out of things all the time, and even good intentions only go so far. But to have gotten this far with less than two weeks of protest is truly amazing. And it's not over yet. The people are still fighting. The people are still pushing. And something tells me if they keep at it, there will be no stopping them. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. You know, with all these protests sweeping across America, people have been comparing this moment to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And much like the 1960s, law enforcement officers have met these calls to end police brutality with even more police brutality. Across the country, peaceful protests have too often devolved into standoffs with heavily armed police using military-style tactics. Flashbangs, tear gas, rubber bullets, helicopters, armored vehicles. Law enforcement in riot gear approach a barrier. Protesters on the other side, hands up in the air, chanting, don't shoot. But that's exactly what they did, shooting tear gas and rubber bullets. The threat of terrorism after 9-11 convinced many departments to stock up. Now, those departments are facing off against their own citizens. Just take a moment to think about that. The police department got this heavy-duty equipment to fight terrorists. That's why they got the equipment, post 9-11. And now they're using it against Americans who are exercising their right to protest. And I'm, I'm sorry, what about these people screams terrorists to you? 
Like maybe I've forgotten my history, but I don't remember the part where Al-Qaeda attacked America with cardboard signs. And an argument I've heard some people make is that the only reason the police are doing this is because the protesters are looting or being violent. That's what they say. No, they're doing this because the people are violent. But as happens so often, the police's story never matches the actual footage. Because for the past week, the internet has been full of videos of police officers attacking protesters with no provocation whatsoever. Caught on camera from coast to coast, alleged excessive force by police officers. Attacks against protesters who are demonstrating against police brutality. In New York, police drove a vehicle into a crowd of people protesting there. In Los Angeles, police swing batons at people who witnesses say were simply standing with their hands up. A New York police officer caught on camera pushing a woman who was demonstrating. An officer pulling a man's face mask off and spraying him with pepper spray. This unsettling image of an officer kicking a woman who was maced. Caught on camera, a protester run over by an HPD mounted patrol unit at the height of the protests. We as black people deal with this every day. Black and brown people are treated brutally every day. I don't care who you are, those images have to be upsetting to watch. Because these images are the antitheses of what America is supposed to stand for, right? This is supposed to be the country where you have the freedom to say whatever you want, a democracy, right? You can say whatever you want, whether it's Black Lives Matter or let's all drink bleach. The government is not supposed to physically punish you for that. And that hasn't always been the case in America, but that is the ideal, right? When people were protesting in Michigan, saying that they wanna go out, they wanna go back to work, they wanna get haircuts, they don't care about the coronavirus, they weren't getting beaten up. And that's what America is, the freedom to protest. And the freedom to protest isn't the only American ideal that the police have been trying to suppress lately. It seems like they've been really making a concerted effort to go after the free press. More than 300 journalists have faced press freedom violations. Across the United States, the camera is rolling when law enforcement seem to be targeting journalists. Whoa! I am press. Please... (laughs) We identified ourselves as press and they um, fired tear gas canisters on us at point blank range. This Australian cameraman and reporter were shoved and hit while live on air. Police now advancing on Oh my gosh, I'm getting shot, I'm getting... In Louisville, pepper balls fired at a crew on live TV. Who were they aiming that at? At us, like directly at us. Yeah. Those videos are what's happening in America right now. Cops are just openly firing tear gas and pepper bullets and everything on journalists. And I mean, I can't blame them. If I was doing the shit that the police have been doing, I wouldn't want anyone recording it either. So the police are attacking unarmed protesters, defenseless reporters. I mean, at this point, you might be wondering, is there anyone? Is there anyone non-threatening enough that the police would not get violent with them? And what we're learning is that the answer is no. A Salt Lake City police officer in full riot gear using his shield to push an elderly man with a cane. The man falls face first onto the ground. Two officers in Buffalo, New York, pushing a 75-year-old man who falls to the ground, hits his head, and starts bleeding. None of the officers in the video appear to help him. I don't care how many times I see that video, I will never get used to it. Because it's bad enough that these cops push an old man who's walking over to them. 
But the fact that they walk over him, they walk past him while he's bleeding out on the sidewalk. Like, who are you protecting and serving if not that old man? And think about it. These were just two that were caught on video. Now, as usual, when videos like this come out, the excuse is always the same. People always want to defend those police by saying, those are just a couple of bad apples. That is not, that is not a signifier, that is, that is not representative of the entire police department. The only issue is that argument falls apart when you see what happened after they pushed this old man to the ground. A police statement released before the footage was posted online said only that a man tripped and fell. But after the video surfaced, the police commissioner ordered an internal affairs investigation and the immediate suspension of the officers without pay. As the officers leave the courthouse, cheers from a crowd of fellow officers and law enforcement. In another show of support, all 57 members of the Buffalo Emergency Response Team resigned, but they remain on the police force. Think about this for a second. Not only did the police department try to cover up what happened, not only did they try and lie about something that we all saw on camera, but once the truth got out and those cops were punished, the entire team resigned to protest those police being held accountable. In fact, they even showed up at the courthouse to cheer them on as they came out. What are you cheering? That Buffalo is finally safe? from old men walking around in public? What are you cheering? What are you cheering? The fact that you've come out? The fact that you stayed... Like, it's a scary thing to think about. What are they cheering for? And something I think people need to understand about the police is that, in a way, they have the same code that a gang does, in that, above all, you are loyal to your crew. That is a culture that is within every police department. And that's the heart of this issue. If good police are willing to look the other way or even join in when the bad police abuse their powers, you can make new rules and regulations all you want, but it won't matter. America's not gonna be able to fix this problem until we have police whose first priority is protecting and serving the people instead of protecting and serving themselves. When we come back, I'll be talking to Miski Noor from the Black Visions Collective in Minneapolis, on the ground where the George Floyd protests started, and we'll be talking about how things have gone since that day. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got the chance to talk to Miski Noor. Now, Miski is an organizer of Black Visions Collective, an organization in Minneapolis dedicated to ending systems of violence. We spoke about George Floyd, the murder, and how Minneapolis's city council is pledging to dismantle the city's police department. So check it out. Um, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Um, you are somebody who's on the ground, and not just now, but you have been on the ground. Um, take me through a little journey, if you don't mind, just, just for the viewers, to paint a picture of, of Minneapolis. You know... A lot of people were shocked at what happened in Minneapolis. A lot of people were shocked at what happened to George Floyd. A lot of people were shocked at what happened in the aftermath to George Floyd. But you were one of the people who wasn't so much shocked, but rather, it's almost like you were like, you, you were like, this is what was bound to happen because of Minneapolis's story. 
Tell me a little bit about that and, 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 and why you, you believe that. I would say not only just the history of the police in general, right, where we know that the roots of the institution of police come from slave catching and union busting, right? But in the city of Minneapolis, the police department's only been here for about 150 years, but we know that before George Floyd, there's Philando Castile, and there's Jamar Clark, and there's Trans uh, Terrence Franklin, and Thurman Blevins, and Marcus Golden, and Fong Lee, and so many others. And... <clears throat> Minneapolis has actually been the poster child for reform, right? Um, we had a openly gay indigenous woman as police chief, mm -hmm. uh, former police chief Janae Harteau. Uh, we received, a, a, not we, the Minneapolis Police Department received a review from President Obama's Department of Justice. They even received a settlement uh, to receive training to not put people, detainees in prone positions, which is the exact tactic that um, Chauvin, Derek Chauvin used to murder George Floyd. Uh, so, and currently we have a black police chief, Chief Rondo, right? And still the Minneapolis Police Department manages to murder black people in the streets. And so, uh, this, this is the, um, this is the setting for what happened to George Floyd. And, uh, we saw, uh, with the murder of Jamar Clark five years ago, um, you know, our demands back then were actually that we wanted to see the tape of the murder, right? We wanted right. the tape to the public and, and to the family, especially, uh, we wanted a DOJ investigation into, uh, the 12 hour standoff that we had with the police in which they um, really brutalized protesters by driving their bikes into people, um, by dragging uh, young hijabis by their, uh, by their scarves, uh, by punching young black queer women in the face. Uh, so we wanted an investigation into that behavior. Uh, we wanted no grand jury <laughs> because we knew grand jury would not get us, uh, get us justice. Um, but all of our um, all of our demands were really inside of making the the system give us justice. Uh, and ever since then, we've actually uh, changed our focus to focus much more on uh, abolition and what does it mean to reduce the scope and the scale and the power right. of the police. Um, and so that's what defund the police is really about. And that's the work we've been doing as Black Visions and uh, reclaim the block over the last few years. So let's go through each thing step by step. Um... You, you have lived in Minneapolis for how long now? Uh, wow. I've been here since 2003. So almost, I'm um, coming up on 20 years. Right. And so you've lived in, in this place that is predominantly white and yet at the same time experiences predominantly black people experiencing brutality at the hands of police. I'm sorry, 60% um, of black folks. Say that again, uh, please. Uh, Sixty percent of people murdered by the police or involved in police shootings over the last 18 years have been black people. And what is the percentage of black people in Minneapolis? We are about 12 uh, percent of the population here, I believe. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's safe to say that a tiny portion of the population ha has been experiencing a majority of the, the force that the police exert on, 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 on people. And, and I think... That's something that has been missing from the conversation. You know, yes, George Floyd has, has been the catalyst, but a lot of people, in my opinion, or what I've seen, haven't been talking about, like, you know, all of, all of the little, little flints that have been causing this flame, all of the little tinders that have, that have been creating what we're seeing right now. So, so talk us through a little bit of, of Minneapolis's problems. Like, what do you think has, has contributed 
to what became the explosion that we saw post-George Floyd? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I talked to you a little bit about some of the reforms that the police department has tried that did not work. Right. Uh, but some of the like numbers inside of our state actually, right? Um, Minnesota has the fourth largest employment gap between black and white folks. Um, and we have one of the largest disparities in home ownership at 76% for white folks and 24% for black folks. Um, And in 2019, we were actually named one of the uh, fourth worst metros in the country for black people based on education and housing and access to healthcare and so many other things. Um, And so, Those are the, the those are the the disparities, and as I mentioned before, those are mirrored in the Minneapolis Police Department and the way in which they treat Black people in the state and in the city. Do Do you have any idea of why this sparked the outrage that it did? You know, because Minneapolis does have this history. Minneapolis does have this pain. You know, the Black community has been subject to to countless, as we've seen. I mean, even the officer in question had something like twenty previous complaints against him. Yes. What, what do you What do you think sparked? Minneapolis's rage the way that it was sparked after George Floyd. An organizer here, Jason Soul, uh, said um, in in a video that Minneapolis was one bullet away from being Ferguson five years ago. It, it wasn't a bullet, right? But it was a murder. It was a murder by the police. And so um, that foretelling and that clarity um, really hit me. Also, the really underlying currents of all of that being organizing, right? We didn't stop organizing um, after the media stopped paying attention in Minneapolis or many other cities um, as police continue to brutalize and kill black folks. Um, We continued organizing and talking to our neighbors and and having conversations about defunding the police and what could be possible and and what what community-led safety could look like. Right, right, right. And that's that's, that's something, sorry to interrupt you, but that's something I, I, I really wanted to chat to you about. I really found this interesting in, in, in and around the work you've been doing in Minneapolis because before, I, I would argue, before it became, you know, in, in vogue to, to, to talk about this, you, you've been one of the organizers on the ground in Minneapolis working to defund, abolish, and, and foster community uh, policing or community accountability. And, and, and I, wanted, I wanted to talk to you about that. What has that been like on the ground? And what does that actually mean in terms of the communities working within themselves to hold people accountable? Because I, I think a lot of people have heard snippets of this, but don't truly understand what it means. Um, it's honestly a lot of organizing uh, and, pl- and storytelling, right? It's organizing folks um, or... Uh, it's organizing folks, it's organizing our community members to really take their own power back and telling the story of how it actually is their power, right? So many folks are disillusioned with um, politics or elections or um, even their own like city governments uh, because they don't actually see themselves reflected there and they don't actually see themselves heard. And so we really wanted to engage our community's imaginations about what could be possible and how we could protect one another. And we've really mm-hmm. seen that become possible during this uprising right? The police really left us to ourselves when white supremacists descended on our cities. And so it's been community patrols, it's been uh, medic trainings, it's been food drives and transportation services and handing out PPE and Narcane and training folks how to take care of each other. That's really actually protected us in this time. And that's some of the work we were doing before. In 2018, Black Visions and Reclaim the Block actually forced the city council by getting hundreds of community members out 
repeatedly to budget hearings uh, to remove $1.1 million from the police department and reallocate it to things like the Office of Violence Prevention. Before this uprising, our city government planned to cut that office, right? Their plan was to remove it. We only got wow. it two years ago. Um, we haven't even had a chance to see what the great impact of that could be. And so one of our demands has been, you got to fund that, you got to fully fund that for years to come. And so those are the kinds of things that we want. And those are the kinds of things that we're trying to get our community um, to fight for so that there can actually be real protection for black folks and other marginalized communities. Because uh, our, you know, it, the announcement yesterday was amazing. And what got it to happen is the on on the ground organizing that folks have been doing uh, for years, uh, not only in Minneapolis, but mm -hmm. all around the country. It, it, it really was huge because you had the city council come out and say that they're, they're committing to working to dismantle the police department as we know it. And this, 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 I mean, has blown people away because I don't think this is a conversation anybody thought any city council would ever be having you know, now it didn't seem like it would happen, and and clearly the protests and the and the and the movement have creating have created something. Activists and organizers like yourself have created something. Um, is this what you want to see? Were you happy when this was announced? A hundred percent. And on Prince's birthday, I'll name. So you know, Prince knew something about the revolution. Um, but yeah, uh, this was one of this is one of the things we wanted to see. This is a win. We've seen a lot of wins over the last two weeks. So I want community and people to really claim that and really understand what's possible with people power, because uh, we can do this and we can really craft a world in which all of us are safe um, and all of our dignity and humanity is honored. And um, the public commitment is great the work continues, right? We actually have to see some things pass. We have to actually have conversations. Um, Minneapolis is making history by beginning a community-driven process to dismantle MPD and decades of organizing by communities have led to this. Um, but we have a lot of hard work ahead of us and it's gonna take every single one of us learning new skills, and building new relationships um, and really trying things that we haven't done before. Uh, right. But we really believe that the reward is gonna be a city that uh, really invests in life affirming policies and programs and services that care for our people instead of police that terrorize us. Before I let you go, um, I know that being an organizer is often thankless. Being an organizer is extremely difficult. And now more than ever, people are willing and, and, and excited to help organizers and activists who are on the ground so if there are people who want to help out in Minneapolis, if there are people who want to send resources, where do they find your organization? Where do you think that they should um, drive their resources towards? So you can find us at Black Visions MN, at Black Visions MN on Twitter, um, on, on Instagram and Facebook. And we are, you know, come see us, see about us. We're a Black-led, queer and trans centering organization with healing and transformative justice at the center that's really trying to build powerful campaigns to get Black folks free in Minnesota. Um, Reclaim the Block and MPD 150 are also really great resources to learn more about defunding the police and abolition work. If you have questions mm -hmm. and if you want to talk to your neighbors and your family about this, and if you're curious and you want to learn more about community-led safety, definitely go there. The Movement for Black Lives is a great resource. Um, check out, um, you know, all of the different organizations doing work, Black liberation work all across the country. Um, and then uh, we actually, if you want to help uh, support with your dollars organizations that are on the ground, if you go to bit.ly backslash fund the community, you'll find a bunch of organizations on the ground um, or and, and funds on the ground in Minneapolis that are part of this ecosystem that are supporting uh, folks on the ground and, and uprising work in this moment. Miski, 
Thank you so much for taking your time today. And uh, as you say, congratulations to you and the community on your win. And hopefully there'll be more to come. Thanks so much, Trevor. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Miski. When we come back, Super Bowl champion Anquan Bolden joins us to talk about the Players' Coalition and what Drew Brees said. So stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got the chance to talk to NFL star Anquan Bolden. He's the co-founder of the Players' Coalition, which is a group of professional athletes who have come together to improve social justice and racial equality in our country. We talked about his work and what he's doing to help the movement against police brutality. Anquan Bolden, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. First things first, how are you as a human being? I feel like people don't ask them like that question anymore right now. How, how are you doing? That's, that's true, man. People don't. Um, but I got to say, man, I'm, I'm considering I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I have no choice. I have, you know, a wife and two kids that I have to look after. So, you know, I have to be okay for them. Right, right. You, you, you are someone who has had to be okay for people for a lot of his life, though. You know, um, one thing that has set you apart as a human being is that you, you left the NFL... Um, to found like an organization that that really is is tasked with justice. You know, you 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 set out to create the Players Coalition, which is an organization that has said, "Hey, man, we're we're gonna try and make a difference using the NFL as a platform to get racial justice out there." Take me through a little bit of of the why. You know, like everyone has a different story as to why they get into the work that they get into. Why why was this the move for you? Yeah, for me, it, it was really important. Unfortunately, um, I lost my cousin at the hands of law enforcement. Um, my cousin was a was a drummer in a band. And one night after a show he, he had just played with his band, he was on his way home. Ended up breaking down on the side of the road. Long story short, um, law enforcement officer killed him while he was on the phone with roadside assistance. Um, so for me, um, seeing the, the pain that my family went through, seeing how long the process was before um, we felt like justice was served. I didn't want any other family to have to deal with that. And for me and my family, you know, although we feel like there's a lot of families in this country, man, that not only get justice, but don't get their day in court. So I feel Mm -hmm. like um, with the platform that I had, um, felt like it was more than right for me to, to speak out about these issues, but also try to come up with solutions. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because you know, I think there's two things that 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 are current that are oftentimes a misconception that people have. You know, um, I've seen a lot of people in America say, "Oh, but if you're rich, if you're famous, if if you know you, then you're out. Like it doesn't affect you. I don't know why you're complaining about this. I don't even know why this is an issue for you." But you you're you're just one of the examples of people who do get affected because we're human beings. We're connected to other people, even if it isn't you. It can be a family member, etc. But but talk me through what you've been trying to do in terms of creating actions and why you feel like it's, 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 it's your burden, you know? Because you, you could have easily just walked away and said, hey man, this is horrible, this was painful, and I'm out. But you've chosen to sort of live in that pain and try and, you know, prevent other people from experiencing it. Tell me a little bit about the whys. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like you said, a lot of people think just because you have money, um, you're out of it. But I can tell you that even, even after having money, you know, I found myself in in those situations where I'm pulled over just because of the car that I'm driving or the color of my skin. So, you know, having money doesn't exempt you from being black in America. If you're black in America, no matter what you do, 
Um, no matter how much money you have, you're, you're just black in America and you still have to deal with the issues that come with that. Um, for me, you know, me joining this work is because obviously I'm a black man. I'm raising two, two black boys. Um, I have cousins. I have um, a sister. Um, I have two brothers that are obviously black. So, I mean, it doesn't just affect me. You know what I'm saying? It, it affects my family as well. And for me, it's it's trying to hold these people accountable. And I think that's the that's the thing that that people don't get. Um, and you know, you have a lot of people asking, well, why are people protesting? Why is there rioting? Why is there looting? And the simple answer is because justice wasn't served right away. I guarantee you, had those guys been arrested, not just the one officer, but all four, had they been arrested right then or a day later you wouldn't have everything that's going on now. And it's because we fail over and over again to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. you, you, you played in a league that has become synonymous with, you know, law enforcement, military, et cetera. You know, the NFL, a lot of the imagery that you see on the field would be like police members and the military, and, and they're very proud of that association. What that has created, though, is a conflict oftentimes between like the fans some of the fans and, and, and many of the players, when the players speak out about, you know, issues of police injustice or violence in, 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 in the communities, how, how do you relate to your fans or, or have you found a way to connect with them in a way where, you know, you can use their passion for the sport that you played so well to try and help them understand what's going on in America? I think the thing that you have to do is just reach people at the level that they're at. Um, you know, everybody doesn't always see things the same way. But I think if you if you humanize um, the situations that we're going through as as a as a culture, I think people begin to understand, um, you know, you can you can liken it to a lot of different things. But it isn't until um, it hits home with the person that you're talking to that mm -hmm. it really registers. You you've been working hard to push the NFL in this space. And um, Roger Goodell came out now and said that he doesn't feel like the NFL has done enough and he wants the NFL as an organization to do more. Uh, you know, now granted, the NFL doesn't make laws, the NFL isn't responsible for the police, so I mean, you know, the scope of what they can do is limited, but some people felt like it was lip service because of Colin Kaepernick, some people felt like it's a step in the right direction. You know, you're somebody who's constantly been pushing the NFL, what, what would you hope to see the NFL do? Is there something they can do, and, and what would it be? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good question because I think a lot of people are looking from the outside in and, and expecting the NFL to kind of solve this problem, right? Um, and that's not going to happen. But I think one thing that the NFL can do is look internally, um, look at the policies um, that it supports, look at the hiring practices that it has internally. When you're talking about a league that's predominantly made up of African-Americans, how many African-American coaches do you have? How many African-Americans GMs do you have? How many African-American owners do you have? So I think that's one of the things that they can look at. And as far as using the platform that the NFL has, you know, you, you have guys like myself, guys that are playing currently, um, guys like Malcolm Jenkins, other guys that are on the Players Coalition. When we're asking for support of the NFL, it's not just monetary, but it's coming to us when we have these meetings with congressmen and senators and those that are in positions of power, because then those conversations change. Because there are a lot of owners in the NFL that can guarantee that some of those people are in the seats that they're in because of their support. So mm -hmm. when, we, when we ask the NFL, you know, to lend us your platform, it's coming to these meetings with us. It's understanding 
what exactly it is that we're fighting against. And I can right. I can tip my hat to Roger because he's come along on, on several of those occasions. He's come to us. Um, he's come along with us when we when we've spoken to, you know, people in positions of power. He's come and tried to see what, while we were doing court hearings, like what's the process. So he I can give him, a, um, you know, kudos for trying to understand what exactly it is that we're talking about trying to step outside of himself and put himself in our shoes and understand the issues that we're, we're screaming about. It is interesting because, you know, sports has often been the place where people say politics doesn't exist. You know, sports is often the place we all go to escape. You just support your team, you have a good time and that's that. But it feels like there are moments in time when politics is inescapable. You know, there are issues that can't be ignored when people step onto a field. Um, there are issues that athletes can't ignore, you know, because you have platforms, you have spa- spaces to speak out. Uh, Drew Brees was one of those athletes recently, you know, who, who came out and said comments that he then later took back and, 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 and said, look, we're insensitive. When, when you look at the players, you know, when you're talking to all of the players, is there a platform or a space where players get together and hash these things out? Or do you find that there's a disconnect? Is it, is, is, let me put it this way, is... Do we, do we work under the assumption that the players are always like these tight-knit communities when in fact it's just like the rest of society where people break off and think whatever they think? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's pockets where, where they are. Um, I think you have a number of players that are on the same page. Um, you have guys that are connected in that way. And then you have guys who have, a, have differing opinions. But I would say the one thing that I, I do think is true, that we're all fighting for the same cause. You mm-hmm. might see it a little different of how we get there, but I think we're on the same page that change needs to happen in this country. And we talk about sports, you know, uniting everybody and bringing everybody together. The one thing I'm, I'm happy that is not happening right now is that sports isn't being played, right? Mm. The world is at a standstill, right? Because think about it. Had life been normal, you would have the NBA playoffs, right? You would have the NFL would be, um, in OTAs, you would have MLB season would be underway. You would have NASCAR. You would have PGA tournaments. You would have tennis tournaments. And everybody could be distracted by those things that are going on. But because you don't have sports, everybody's attention is focused on this one thing. And I think for us, this is the opportunity for us to, to really create change. It's an opportunity for us to really strategize and have a game plan going forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy that there are no sports because there's no, no, nothing to distract people from the real issue that needs to be talked about. What would you like some of those changes to be? There's a lot of changes that I would like um, to happen. Obviously, um, we know the over-policing in, in the African-American community is, is a big one. Um, and I think one of the things that we're missing also is the immunity that's giving um, to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Not only law mm-hmm. enforcement, but, but to government officials. Um, And that's one of the big problems. Like a lot of people don't really understand why there's a lack of accountability um, when an officer does something or what allows an officer like the guy in Minnesota to continue to be on the force after 18 complaints. And we don't look at the contracts between the unions and the cities. And I think that's that's something that we need to start taking a look at. Well, Aquan, I want to say thank you for your time. Um, I know it's always painful to relive old memories, but um, what you're doing is amazing. And, and hopefully through your work and other people's work, uh, there'll be fewer of these stories to tell. So thank you for joining me. No problem, Trev. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, my dude. Thank you so much, Anquan. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, 
The Daily Show and Comedy Central have been donating to three groups who are fighting against police brutality and systemic racism. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Equal Justice Initiative, and the Bail Project. And if you're able to, and you'd like to help these groups, then you're more than welcome to go to the following link and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, though, stay safe out there. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 